0: You've tuned in to the Beyond Hope podcast, your access to success strategies and more to help you survive and thrive through your loved one's addiction challenges while you move onward and upward with your life.
1: Now, here's your host, Shar Jones. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. This is Shar Jones, and I'm the host of Beyond Hope. Um, and I'm also the mother of an addict. So I understand. I understand what it means to love someone who struggles with addiction. It has been a very long journey for me, but I have gotten to a place of hope and beyond hope, which is kind of the ironic twist to the name that I think really hope is where the healing begins. And on the other side of hope is life and joy and love and all these things that are no longer contingent upon the recovery of our addicts. So what I'm hoping to do with this podcast is bring to you so many people that I respect and admire, experts within the industry of addiction and recovery, who, who have so much valuable information to share um, with me, with you, with all of us. And in addition, we'll be bringing you some stories of hope. And hopefully some laughs, maybe some tears along the way, but it's going to be all good. So thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to this journey with you.
0: So if you're at home and your kid starts freaking out and yelling, don't react, don't respond, don't go crazy, don't match their craziness, don't stoop down to their level, remain humble, remain calm and say, okay, you don't have to go to treatment. This is your choice, not mine my choice is that you can't live here if that's the case. So you call me when you're ready to step up and be an adult. Hey,
1: everyone. Welcome. I'm always so excited to say hi to you and to welcome you to the show. It's truly an honor. And I just thank you for continuing to join me on this journey. It's been such an incredible experience and... I just continue to follow my heart and bring guests that really connect with me and who I think have something valuable to share. Tonight, I'm very excited to introduce you to my next guest, Chad Stevens. I'm very blessed to call him a friend. And we had such a good time on this interview. I'm really excited to announce that we are going to continue the conversation we're going to do a six part series together where we take questions from all of you. Questions for Chad or myself. And we'll read those on the air and we'll answer those questions together. So please, please, please send your questions to shar at beyondhoperadio.com. And that's S-H-A-R at beyondhoperadio.com. And please, there's no question that isn't worth asking. If you're wondering, I'm sure that somebody else is wondering as well. Back to Chad. His no BS approach to the topic of addiction is so refreshing to me as a mom. We spent a good hour together where he shares his wisdom and his opinions on things, his experiences with us and his heart. And I couldn't be more grateful. Uh, He really just tells it like it is, and he and I both agree that if what he has to say resonates with you, then that's great, and if not, that's okay too. Addiction is a controversial topic. We're okay with that. We're okay with talking about it and not having everybody agree with what we have to say, because really, we are here to share our voices, to continue to bring people out of the darkness and into the light so we can talk about this and Chad's approach is really just to bring simple solutions to addiction. And amen to that. So enjoy this conversation with him. Don't forget to email me your questions to char at beyondhoperadio.com. And with that, sending you so, so much love. And I'll talk to you soon. Chad, welcome. I am so grateful to hey, you. Yeah. I'm so grateful to you for so many things, but let me just start by thanking you for joining me today.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to get going and we can talk about some controversial stuff <laughs> or just some simple stuff.
1: <laughs> that sounds awesome. I yeah. remember um at one point when we first started talking about you doing this podcast, I asked you how you help people and you replied by telling me that you tell them what they need to hear versus what they want to hear. And I just want to ask you, what do you mean by that?
0: (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) Well, I think everybody, if we had a choice, we'd all want to hear the things that we'd want to hear. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's not necessarily what we need to hear. So for instance, if I was to say that you lost your job, you probably wouldn't want to hear that it's your fault. (laughs) <laughs> right. Now I don't know all the circumstances behind it, so I don't want to just jump into it and say, Hey, you know, it's your fault. I, I would try to make an assessment, but society in general has kind of gotten away from the whole accountability factor of like what's my part in all this. So I think that's a great place to start and kind of stay for a while when it comes to helping people.
1: Perfect. Yeah, tell me more about that, about accountability as far as like a perspective of the families. Um and, and the addict themselves, as far as accountability goes.
0: Sure. Well, I'm a firm believer in that everybody knows the difference between right and wrong. Okay. Whether it's your family that teaches you that, or it's society that teaches you that, or a coach, or a mentor, regardless of like socioeconomic background, everybody at least knows that like committing crimes are bad. Right? Like doing drugs is Bad. It's not a good thing for you. So, when we all kind of inherently know that and we do something against that, like we break a law or we do a drug or we don't live up to a certain standard, societal standard, then we have to take some sort of accountability for that. Now, how much accountability you take is really up to a lot of different factors. Okay. Um, We can get into that later, but it's a great place to just start. Rather than like, I mean, we all know people who like to point the finger. I fall victim to it too. Right. And I have to constantly remind myself that, like, wait a sec, wait, wait, dude. Let's start with you first. Check your backyard first before you start going blaming other people for these things that are occurring in your life. So when we start to address, you know, the person themselves and what's your part in this, then we can start to look at all these external factors that maybe have played into their decision making of their lives. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of what I mean by that. It's a great starting point for like, okay, you got this person who's on drugs, or you got this family that's completely dysfunctional. And one of the outcomes of that is they have a, an addict child. Like, where do we start? Like, where's the starting point? Well, how about everybody take a look at themselves? Right. And then we think of practical solutions to fix this issue. Right.
1: Yes. That's perfect. So,
0: yeah, I, I don't want it to be a complicated thing. You know, it should be a very simple, a simple thing, a simple solution, and and then just taking some action on it. And then not always going to work the first time. And it requires practice. You know, people, I think I told you this once that you didn't read the book on how to raise a a drug addict. There's not that book out there that preps you for this part. If anything, we just avoid it, right? And just kind of like cross your fingers and hope that it doesn't happen, right? So there's a certain level of education that has to come into play as well.
1: Yeah. So when a mom reaches out to you for the first time or, you know, during those early conversations that you're having, you and I had um, in the beginning there when we first started talking, what are some of the things that you're trying to find out?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I've had to constantly practice being a good listener. (laughs) Okay. Not, Not just with work affairs, but my personal affairs as well. When you can learn a lot, a lot from somebody when you just listen for a few minutes, hear them out. Right. And these, the dynamics of different mothers or fathers have kind of come into fruition over the past, I'd say, five to 10 years um, of how versed someone is in addiction. Right. So I could get a call from a mother who is, let's say, in her late 40s, early 50s and has a teenage to a 20 year old daughter, let's say, and they know absolutely nothing about addiction. You can tell based on how they approach the issues and the questions they ask that they just don't know what to do. And then on the flip side of it, you get the seasoned mother or father who's just completely fed up okay, with the antics of their child or their brother or their aunt or whoever it is that has issues. And they just want them off their plate. They don't care who gives them help. They just want them fixed. They want them out of their hair They've been able and enabling for so long and they're tired of it. So you have those two kind of opposite sides of the spectrum and then everything that kind of blends into play in between. And that will determine my approach or I think anybody's approach who's going to help somebody because if my goal is to help somebody, I want to teach them how to help the person get to us, right? Because I work at a treatment center. If someone's interested in coming to us, I need to figure out the best dynamic of how people listen and how people learn. So in order to do that, I have to listen, right? And you can find out a lot within the first five to 10 minutes of of how much work it's going to be on my end, right? To either coach or instruct the person to get their loved one to a program or to give them the best advice I can to get them to another program. Right. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of different dynamics that kind of come into play when, from my perspective at least. Right. So it's just listening. Listening is a big part of that. And it takes time, too. You, You know, I I have frames of references because I've been doing this for a long time. Right. If I'm just learning about how to place somebody into treatment, you have to go through a lot of practice. So there's a lot of people out there who are learning who may not be as comfortable as I am with this stuff. But it took me time. I'm still learning. I got I got tons to learn. Right. So I don't think there's a point in time where you're like, I've mastered this. It's just the goal is to help as many people as you can as fast as you can.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I remember right. when um, when my daughter was at this point where she'd been through several treatment programs and she got to this point where she was just so over it, like so fed up with the word addiction. I remember her just telling me right. she was just done. She didn't need it. She didn't need the 12. She knew about it. She knew all the steps. She knew what she needed to know. And I just remember her saying like every conversation, every decision, every life event seemed to revolve around the word addiction. And Mm -hmm. she was done and it pushed her further away from her recovery at that time. She went right back into her active addiction, of course. And I guess I just want to pause and ask you, you know, when we see this happening in our kids where they are just fed up and frustrated and we see them kind of moving away from recovery, what do we do?
0: Well, just like anything, it's kind of like working towards a goal and, and that goal that you want to, that anybody wants to achieve is, is, is hard earned, right? M- we all know that most good things in this life take time, they take effort, they take investment, they take education and, and it takes a certain level of care, right? Some people, especially younger, younger people, teenagers in their twenties and their thirties, some people just don't care a whole lot right? So, and how do you instill that care? Is some of it by force? Is some of it by reminders? Some people have to have their eyes opened by going to jail. Some people need to get kicked out of the house, right? So, it's tough to say this is what you do Mm -hmm. in this circumstance because every dynamic is different with Mm -hmm. the family. So, in order to give a and educated in a somewhat professional opinion on what to do, it would require some education on my part or whoever, whatever interventionist or professional helps on their part. Right. You, you need some more dynamics to say in this situation, you kick them out or in this situation you call the police. Right. That's, yeah. But back to what I was saying, you, you remind them, that this takes effort and investment. And if you want this, if you truly want this, it's going to take work. Right. And then, people who are in a adi- you know who are addicts or they're, they're suffering from drug addiction substance use or, or whatever it is it's a it's a rut to get out of it's tough and you know, a lot of times you got to get removed from that environment how susceptible and how receptive are they to help right you know do right. they want help they don't want help it's tough to help somebody who doesn't want help right so it's like what do you do but it's my son it's my daughter I don't want to see them die right so mm-hmm. at the same time you have to watch out for your health too yeah. Right? So it's a funky funky balance that and it's kind of a tricky thing that you have to think about um when when it comes to someone who's been through all these other places, these these other short term programs, these band-aid programs that say, you know what, I'll give you 30 days of education, now you apply it. Right. Not much follow up. It's tough to say what to do. You don't know a whole lot about the dynamic, but I just say remind them that it takes work and, and it and it takes effort. Right. Yeah, And I think being a good example as a parent, too, by action, not just through words, like doing what you say you're going to do consistently for a long time.
1: Absolutely. Like as a mother
0: or father, if you're an emotional wreck, right, a lot of people shape their feelings and emotions off what they see their parents do. So if the parents are emotionally unstable or they're not very emotionally intelligent, then don't be surprised if your kid mocks that. I can't tell you how many times that, and you know, this is real, right? This is real. You work with tons and tons of people. I've worked with tons and tons of people. And then you work with the addict themselves and you get them there and you start to find out their behaviors, right? They're good at this. They're good at this. They're good at this, but they're not good at these three things also, right? But then you have a conversation with the parents and you're like, okay, I get it now. (laughs) It's starting to make sense, right? It's starting to make sense. (laughs) I get it they have modeled their parents behavior they have their parents genetics just like i have my mom's and my dad's genetics right <laughs> so you're like aha okay and it's nothing to be ashamed about or embarrassed about like it's just it just is what it is right people are coming into their own and they're figuring this world out it's a funny time for people who are young so that's kind of my two cents
1: yeah i love that well and especially as moms like we're trying so hard to like model all this good behavior and It's so frustrating when it seems like no matter what you do, they, they pick up some of those, those behaviors that you're trying to so hard to protect them from like raising my daughter. I was so afraid of her becoming an alcoholic. Her dad died from alcoholism. My father was an alcoholic. And so I didn't have alcohol in the house. She wasn't raised with it. I just didn't know if I was going to drink, it was, you know, away from the house or with my friends or whatever. And so, right. imagine my surprise when <laughs> addiction swoops in. I was trying so hard to protect her from alcoholism; I totally had my eye off of the ball um, in regards to addiction. That was so far from my from my scope.
0: But funny how it works when you hide your drinking from your daughter; she hides her drug usage from you, right?
1: Right. Ouch. Yeah. Seriously, I, I
0: don't mean that in a negative way. No, you're right. You know, that's like a diss. It's just like, wait a sec. You know, that's why I'm a big firm believer of like, teach people how to make decisions responsibly. And if they're going to do it, they'll learn. And you can say, I told you so, right? I can prevent you. But if I never taught you, and that day comes when you're out on your own, what do you expect people to do? Yeah, It's like a roll of the dice, you know?
1: Yeah, you're right. And that, that, that right there was so helpful for me right now, because I didn't see that Thank you for sharing that with me. Cause this, you're right. This is, we're constantly learning and evolving and growing as people. And I am just sure. at the beginning of my journey. As you know, I mean, this, I'm, I'm learning new things every day, especially um, sure. now that my daughter is in this long-term kind of recovery program and she and I wow. are learning how to be separate people and, <laughs> right. and learning just to, to find our own way. And I, I find that a lot of moms struggle with that. Sure. And,
0: and, I get that. It's a tough gig, like the, the old empty nest thing. Like, wait a sec. You know, it's a funny thing that I, you know, I, I'm not a mother, right? And, and I don't have children, but I am a son who has a mom and a dad, right? Who I was once a heroin addict and, and screwed up my life. And now I got it together, thankfully. Um, so my perspective is a little bit on the other side of things. But as, as parents, we want to teach our kids all these things. So they live good lives, right? In, in its most simplest sense. And then when our kids don't need us anymore, you're like, wait a sec, but I want to continue to teach you more and I want to guide you. And then we forget to think about all the things we learned when we were out on our own. Mm. Right. And how valuable that was to our lives. It's an adjustment period. Everybody kind of goes through and it doesn't mean like stay out of the way, you know, don't talk to them ever again. That's not what I'm saying. Um, All you can really do is prepare them to be an adult. Right. And then when they go out there and make their own decisions, like, the whole goal is to get them to 18, right? You know, then you're an adult and then whatever happens from there is kind of like, kind of on them, right? They have to be, even the laws of our society say that like, well, you're, you're going to get tried as an adult. If you get arrested, you, you can vote now if you're, if you're, you can, you have to sign up for the draft now, you know, there's all these things that you can smoke if you want, you know, and, and pretty soon you can buy alcohol, like it's preparing them for that. And when it goes south, it's not, so much the parents to blame it's just it's it's individual choices right people are going to try and test the waters and see and it's kind of a funny feeling as a mother or a father to just kind of let that go for a while yeah how do i how do i feel while my child's in treatment what is it i'm supposed to be doing am i asking myself those questions right, right? am i getting support do i just move on with my life and forget all about it Or what am i supposed to do here
1: it's what so my, confusing
0: what yeah what does common sense tell me to do
1: I'm glad you brought that up about common sense, because you had mentioned that, and that is severely underrated, common sense.
0: Right, Right. I get it, and and it's not, the common sense isn't so common, right? Right. That's kind of when you ask me what one of my missions is. Oh, yeah, 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 wait, wait, wait,
1: wait, wait, wait. I want to formally ask you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, okay, all right.
1: What's your mission statement, Chad? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, I can tie it into this last question. So the the question you last asked me, so I guess one of my goals is to be efficient. Okay. So that means doing as much as I can with as little as I can. Right. That's how I know I'm efficient. Right. I can, I can get the most out of my $5. Okay. And then I want to just kind of simplify relating to this field addiction. There's all these different ways and methodologies and approaches and things that everybody says are supposed to work, that this is what you're supposed to do to get better. Um, And and that's kind of an age old thing. It's like that for a lot of things like use this cream, not that cream, use this (laughs) medication, not that medication, right? (laughs) Like let's just simplify things a little bit, like make good decisions. How does a person do that? (laughs) Right. Like what what constitutes, having integrity, right? What constitutes having a good work ethic? How do I build self-esteem? Just simply put some of these life questions into play, and you can easily tie that into addiction, right? Because when you're trying to explain somebody who's two weeks off heroin, the neurochemical reactions in the brain, it may not be the greatest starting point, (laughs) okay? At some point, yes, maybe someone's interested in that. It's good to understand how methamphetamine messes with your brain on a neurological level. I get that, right? But let's just start like let's get super basic here, right? And kind of start over and let's just keep things simple for now. Introduce the fluffy stuff later, right? That's kind of my mission is to remind people that this isn't a complicated process. It's only as complicated as we all want to make it. So, if we can keep it simple, we can keep things related to a common sense level, and we start there, then it'll be easier for the addict's perspective to grasp what it is our parents are trying to tell us, what society is trying to tell us. If we just simplify it and say, listen, rather than you have this crazy addiction and you need to do all these things and go to these meetings and talk to this person and do this and all this work, let's start at the bottom. Okay. So what is it that you think you should do? Right. Do you think it's okay? You need to get off the drugs. Okay, then you need to learn how to stay off the drugs. And then you need to learn to be independent and support yourself, right? Three simple steps, right? And we can add all the fluffy stuff in later. Gives people something easy to chew on, right? Mm -hmm. So that's my advice for that. That's kind of my goal is to help people simplify it. And I may not be the best teacher of that. I'm still learning to do that. But just by using simple language, I don't have to use addiction terminology to do that. Right? I just use societal terminology normal stuff everybody learns and that usually helps get my message across or any message across or the organization's message across that I work for
1: yeah I love that I do want to dive in a little bit deeper in a minute just to provide a little bit more backstory for you in a moment but when you were saying about simplifying it for me I started thinking of it as addiction as um Poor problem solving, <laughs> like Part of that it. helped me. Just think, well, just thinking like that is perhaps being used as a solution for other things that are going on, like for the for the addict sure. thing, sure. and that kind of helped shift my thinking a little bit.
0: Sure, this whole addiction thing is a symptom of a whole lot of other stuff. Okay, um, I'm a believer that people have a hell of a lot more problems. People have problems before they started using drugs or drinking alcohol or using substances or eating too much or gambling too much. Right.
1: Right. Then
0: afterwards you take the drugs away. People still got a lot of
1: problems. Right.
0: Right. So it's not really the drug problem that's at the genesis of all this. It's yeah. All this other stuff.
1: Exactly. Like,
0: how do you, how do you fix that? Or how do you manage that? Right. That's the meat of it. And it's tough to do in like 30 days or 60 days, Right. Exactly. but that's all insurance will pay for.
1: Right. Oh, my gosh.
0: That's it. So everybody has to fit into that mold or at least attempt to. And it's not I don't, its not anybody's fault. It's just kind of the way it is. And I don't know if that'll change or go away, right? It's just we do the best with what we got, right?
1: Yeah. I did reach out my feelers to some of my moms today because i I knew uh-huh. we were going to be talking. And I did get a few questions for you. Are you ready to tackle tackle a couple of them?
0: (laughs) Are the moms of the world ready?
1: (laughs) Probably not, but we want want to know. So one mom mom posed the question, would locked treatment help with our kids who walk out because of cravings? It doesn't make sense to allow sick brains to make life-endangering decisions.
0: Right. Yes and no. (laughs) Right? (laughs) The doors are going to unlock at some point it just kind of depends on the person like do they does that create a certain level of acceptance of where they are knowing that they can't get out but on the adverse effect of that does that mean that they're just going to hold their breath and wait right right so i don't know i think it's an it's an empowering thing knowing that you can see a door open and knowing that you made the choice not to walk out of it and that if you do walk out of it then there are consequences for that absolutely that's a very that's a valuable life lesson that people are going to have to learn. And back to an earlier point, some people just don't care. They yeah. don't care enough, right? And, and it's not a parent's job to get their 32-year-old child to care more, right? Parents are, at that stage, they're a resource guide.
1: Oh, my gosh. Right? Wait a minute, though. Yeah. Back up. That was huge, what you just said. I think all of our moms need to hear that. So can you say that right. again?
0: Yeah, it's not a parent's job to get their child to care more, right? You can show them what care looks like by being a good example, right? But care also needs to come with boundaries, right? Care doesn't mean that I'm going to hug my child to death and just hope that they get better and and, and inundate them with love. Um, if that doesn't create a reference for your child to feel the love, if it just feels like pestering and lecturing, then then they're not doing a good job trying to get their message across, right? So a challenge for a parent, a challenge all parents is to say, well, how does my kid learn? What does he relate to? What did they listen to? And it may not be you. Mm, <laughs> right? That's huge. Yeah, it may not be you. It, it may be somebody else, right? And, and yes, it's a tough pill to swallow for a parent, Okay. You know, the last thing I liked hearing was being lectured from my parents. Were they right? Absolutely. (laughs) Did I tell them they were right? No. (laughs) I I didn't want to agree with them. I had too much pride, right? But I listened to other people who would tell me that I was an a-hole to my parents. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, touche. Yep, you're right. So, and they taught me and I realized over time, you know, which this takes is time is that, It wasn't my parents' job to get me to care. It was mine. This is the way the real world works. The real world can chew you up and spit you back out. You think that once you get clean, that all of life's problems go away and that it's not that it's just easy. It's just not true. Really, treatment is supposed to prepare people for the real world. That's the real test. And if you have time on your side, the more time you can give your child as being a resource center, offering them resources to get help. Hopefully, the more disinteresting drug usage becomes, so the longer the treatment, hopefully the goal is the more disinteresting substances become and if they and if they slip up afterwards, hopefully they learn the tools to pick themselves back up. It is not the parents' job to do that; they are there as a resource guide, and that takes education
1: right. right? I got another question. Um, please, please ask him if allowing your addict child to stay in the family home is a way of enabling, or are there times when this is the right course of action? And she said, been struggling so much with this. Thank you so much. Okay. I am afraid this is probably another depends question, but what do you think?
0: No, that's a great question. Actually. Um, it does depend first ask what's, what's the goal here? right? Is the goal for your child to stay in the house forever? Okay. I hope not. Okay. I, <laughs> I hope the goal is for them to move out. Take a look at history. Okay. What do you think going to happen? If they've robbed from you once, there's a good chance that they may rob from you twice. Okay. Are they paying rent? What are the stipulations? What are the boundaries? What are the time frames that they're supposed to live there? And then enforce those. Now, whatever those are, you need, they need to make up on their own, right? They need to say, okay, well, you need to start paying rent. Okay. And it could be on a graduated scale. First, it's a hundred bucks a month. Then it's going to go up to 200. Then it's going to go up to 300. Then it's going to go up to 400. And all the rules of the house have to apply. And if you break those rules, what are the consequences? Now it's easy to implement the rules. It's easy to put that stuff on paper and create them and sound awesome and say, listen, I did a great job. Okay. What happens when they break up? right? What What is the consequence? Does that mean that their bags are packed and they're out on the street? Oh, I don't know. I don't want to do that. I want them, parents' job isn't to cater the rules and tweak the rules to their child's liking. This is your house. You pay the mortgage, you pay the bills, you make the rules. And that's a tough spot to get to because what happens is when these rules, a lot of times when these rules are placed out, okay, I'm going to write down these 10 rules that my kid has to follow while he's home he he or she is going to think it's a negotiation. Yeah. Okay. They're going to want to bend and flex the rules a little bit. What do you mean eight o'clock curfew? Why not 10 o'clock? I like going to this one meeting from 830 to 930, you know, and I need time to get home. And sometimes to go out for coffee after. Oh, sorry, pal. <laughs> right. These are the rules, right? Find another meeting. Okay. Uh, and then when the parent starts to flex, they say, okay, well, we'll extend it to 10. That means that that message that sends to the kid is that, oh, my parents, they're going to let me flex. They're going to bend. They're going to let me do what I want. I'm already wrenching at them. They're letting their love get in the way of doing what's right. There have to be stipulations. Now, under the certain circumstance, let's say a parent calls me and says, I, my kid's on the street, okay? And I just kicked them out not too long ago, and he or she's using heroin, and they're in a bad situation, and I want to get them to your program. And they're interested in coming going to a treatment program. I've found that it is helpful for two, three, four, sometimes five days to let the person come back and live at home under stipulations until they go to treatment. And the reason for that is in order so the parents can help get some of the requirements done to get into treatment before coming, right? A lot of times, the person themselves, they don't know how to get the required medical paperwork or fill things out. They don't have a computer. They don't have a fax machine. You, you know, these things, that that can help. Um, that would be one of the circumstances where I would say it's a gamble, but the chances are more likely that they'll come if they have a bed to sleep in, that if they're going to detox on a couch, it's probably better than behind a dumpster. It's more likely that someone's going to get the paperwork done faster if they're at home. Um, but there has to be an end game because if they don't go to treatment and they back out, then it, then then what happens are they back out on the street or now are they back moved in and it's the same old story over and over again
1: yeah and when you said what if they don't go to treatment so that's that's fitting right now cuz that was one of the questions as well and so you've got them living at home and that countdown begins and as you get closer and closer you know the risk that the risk level goes up and the stress goes up and all these kind of behaviors are showing up so, you know yelling screaming whatever and they're threatening to, to leave and what if they don't go to rehab it,
0: right well this is classic behavior okay the parents should ask themselves am i surprised that my <laughs> drug addict kid is acting this way <laughs> the answer is usually no i'm not surprised now the key is how does how do the parents respond to all that Right, one of the stipulations before even allowing them to come to come in the house is to go to this selected treatment center, or there's no help at all. Right, you came to us for help, so if you want our help, you're going to do things our way, not your way. Now, if you want to get nasty, right, a, a good way to send a clear message across to a child that's acting, for lack of a better term, bitchy or an mm-hmm. asshole, right? If, they're, if they call you up and they start making demands, and I'm not doing this, just hang up on them. Mm -hmm. right? What that says is I'm not going to listen to this. If you want me to help you and listen, then you need to act in an adult-like fashion. They know how, they just don't want to. And it's amazing what can happen when you start showing these firm boundaries. Like, wait a sec, every time I yell, my mom hangs up on me. Okay. But every time I act like a somewhat civil adult, she listens and she's more helpful. Interesting, right? And that point always doesn't get across. It's a psychological message that you can that you can uh, send by saying, I'm not putting up with this. So if you're at home and your kid starts freaking out and yelling, don't react, don't respond, don't go crazy, don't match their craziness, don't stoop down to their level. Remain humble, remain calm and say, okay, you don't have to go to treatment. This is your choice, not mine. But my choice is that you can't live here if that's the case. So you call me when you're ready to step up and be an adult. You call me when you're ready to get your actions together. You call me when you're ready. Okay. I'll help you pack your bags. You have 35 minutes to get out of the house. Okay. So when doors start closing, when people start, when addicts know they have back doors, they're going to try to go through them. This is the whole negotiation of it. Firm boundaries is very important. And then there's the classic question of, oh my gosh, what happens if I kick them out and then they overdose and die? Right. That That's the scariest thing. You know, it, I want to know that, you know, I did everything I could to protect my child from themselves. That's not your job, right? That's not your job. And, and overdoses become so prevalent now that it, I don't want to say just, okay, you have to accept it. If it happens, it happens. That's not what I'm saying at all. All I'm saying is the firmer the boundaries and the better messages you can send, the higher likelihood your child's going to get into treatment. Otherwise, that relationship between you two is just going to be tumultuous, right? He knows he can play you. He's going to pull on your heartstrings or he or she, and it's going to be more of the same. It's just going to be a long drawn out cycle. So you can't avoid, if someone's going to use drugs, you just can't avoid overdose, right? It it could happen, You don't know what it's cut with. You don't know. So it's kind of a touchy question, right? You know, what do you do? You don't want your kid to die, but do you want them dying under your roof? Is it really your job? Is it going to work? I don't know. it's it's a mystery. I think it's a mystery to everyone. So that's my, that's my two cents. They don't want to go. They don't want to go, but it doesn't, you have to, you have to continue to cater to their needs or their wants. Yeah. Anytime, anytime the addict, I've seen it, it's countless times. They, they have a say in, in in wanting to negotiate where they go to treatment. Um, It's probably not going to work obviously they don't know what's best for themselves that so they wouldn't be putting needles in their eye. Right? right so if they want help then what they need to do is listen to somebody who's a little more clear-headed like a parent or an adult and if they don't want to listen how do you get them to listen
1: hi there thank you so much for listening I'm going to take a quick moment to share with you a message from one of my sponsors, and we will be right back. I recently read an article that said 81% of Americans would like to become a published author. Chances are you're one of them. I know I am. So what's stopping us? Well, for me, it's a lot of hard work. It's time consuming. It's painful and expensive, right? Not anymore. For my next book project, I am teaming up with Hassle Free Books, and they are making it so easy for me to become an author. They're removing all the fuss and struggle and making it smooth and simple. And it's far more affordable than you could ever imagine. Go to hasslefreebooks.com and use the promo code SHAR to receive a 10% discount off of any book project. Get started right away, and you can become a published author in as little as 45 days. And don't forget to send me a copy of your signed book, please. What are you waiting for? Get your story out there. Visit hasslefreebooks.com promo code star today. So let's, let's right, back up mean. just a little bit. So you've got, you've got the, the, the addict child living in the house, the poor behavior is mm-hmm. showing up. You're like on the countdown three days until they go into treatment and this behavior mm-hmm. starts showing up and you know that they are the end of the line, like all doors are closing. This is it. How do you start establishing those boundaries if you have neglected to do so in the past?
0: Well, you should already have them in place before letting them back in the house. Absolutely, okay? and remind the person of that. Say, okay, well, you don't have to go. This is your choice, but remember what I said. What happens when you don't go? And then they'll say, well, I want to. I want to wait until the day I go. You know, the, the morning of of the flight or the night before, so they can get two more days of leeway. Right, they'll want to negotiate that. Say, well, no, you got to make a decision. How about you call the treatment center and talk to them about it and see what they think? I always remind people that a good admission department will help the person feel like it's their idea that they're going to treatment. It doesn't feel forced. Okay, um, and when choosing a treatment center, you want to you hopefully they're going to do a good enough job to to instill that in the person coming into treatment. It can't be mom's idea. It can't be dad's idea. It can't be aunts or uncles or the courts, right? It's got to be, there's got to be an investment with the person. So if that's created, then when those things happen at home, the person on the other end of the phone can remind them of that and hopefully talk them out of doing something dumb, acting a little more civilly. Go for a walk, drink some water, go we'll smoke a cigarette, mm-hmm. right? Something to just calm themselves down. The person knows they're acting ridiculous. They just will never admit it, mm-hmm. Right. It's a touchy subject. Don't worry about words. You're not not in control of their feelings. They're going to feel how they're going to feel. Just remember, be a good example. Use common sense. Have good boundaries. Show them how an adult responds to these situations. Screaming and yelling back at them does not help. So good. It's just, okay, you want to scream and yell. You can go outside then. Go outside and scream and yell. I'm going to lock the door. And if our neighbors see that you're being loud and noisy, and you're screaming at the door, you know, you're yelling at our front yard, then I'm sure they'll call the cops. And then you can explain your situation to them. <laughs> you just walk them through how it's going to play out, right? That's so you great. can either take a deep breath and calm down, or you can act like this outside, like an animal, okay? <laughs> but if you want to be in here, you have to act like an adult. Remember, so- they don't have to say anything at all. Sometimes the best thing is to not say anything. And that's a funky thing as a parent because in the heat of the moment, you want to respond to that and, and you want to try to convince them of everything. And you give it a try. See, you know, Just remember what history's told you. Remember that's what history's good. told you before. I, I don't know if that thoroughly answered your question. Oh, no, totally. Like
1: no, yeah, absolutely. Um, one other question. The first time that you recognize that their kid is using drugs.
0: Right. So what do you do, right? <laughs> what do you do? Well, what should you do? Right? Remember, let's all revert back to this common sense thing. (laughs) Um, What I would do is say, listen, if this ever shows up in the house again, I'm going to call the police. Because if you kick somebody out, you're still responsible for somebody as a minor. Okay. You could try to intervene with treatment. There's education. If that doesn't deter somebody from using it, you can always get the courts involved. That's a big motivating factor. You can't just shake your kid and say, stop using drugs right? We haven't found that to be the most effective method. So educate, you know, you can teach people what it leads to. It's just, I don't know how much of an effect that has on a teenager or or someone in their early twenties. I don't know. Unfortunately, you don't see a lot of people getting help when they're, when they don't see any negative consequences because of their actions. You can just, as an adult or as a parent, teach them that this isn't something you allow your kids to do in your house. And it's not something you condone. It's not something that you approve of. So there will be consequences if you're found doing it again. Have them, you you a them, pee in this cup, Yeah. right? You you know, you take away their car keys. What are the consequences? Ground them, you know, the simple stuff, Yeah. right? And if they want to act like jerks, that's fine, but teach them how responsible parents handle these situations. So that's my two cents. And then maybe they'll grow out of it. Maybe they won't. Maybe things will get worse. Maybe things will get better. But it's kind of tough to say, you know, yeah. education's big and let them know that there's consequences and and really in perspective, it's like, well, yeah, I got caught with cocaine in the house. My parents grounded me fair. Okay. <laughs> right. Like in their mind, they may complain to their friends, like, Oh, my parents are assholes and I let me smoke <laughs> pot in the backyard. Like, well, dude, come on. Your parents <laughs> can get arrested for that, man. Like, so just, you know, don't be mad at them, dude. Like, I thought you were a little slicker than that. Go to the park and do it, right? You know, I don't know, like,
1: <laughs> right. I get they have
0: it. For dumb reasons, right? So, yeah. they, they blame their parents for having rules, like, especially when they can get in serious trouble for it.
1: Well, I love the so, reminder. I love it. the reminder for parents just to. Go back to common sense. (laughs) Go back to the basics. Simplifying. I think that's a really, really good message to send. Yeah.
0: Especially from a perspective of being underage and using drugs. Like what, what source of income fuels that? If it's not your money, then you are subject to consequences of the person whose money it is. If it's your money and you're an adult, then you're only subject to your own consequences. Okay. Or like the laws of society doesn't mean that there shouldn't be punishment, right? But if you're caught doing something that society deemed illegal, there's going to be consequences for that. So you either, okay, common sense would tell us to either don't get caught or you don't do it. And, right. and a lot of people wind up in the system and get caught and they're not, and that's a whole different topic about how they treat people in the system. Yeah, right? it's, it's a money thing, politically driven thing. I don't, I don't agree with 85% of it. Right. But that's just the way it is. We can't be mad for society enforcing rules. But what you can do is remind them that, Hey, I want to teach my kid to make good choices. And if they think that's a good choice, they're going to understand that society doesn't think it's a good choice because they're making good choices. Right. So you don't get in trouble for saving your money and then you can buy a house, but you get in trouble for stealing your neighbor's car. Right. It's just simple stuff. Like we have, I think it's important to teach children that that they're going to make decisions good decisions and and they're going to have to model the parents behavior of that right now i'm not saying let your seven-year-old make all the decisions in the world they're still their brains are still developing you got to do that for them right but when i think what is it until you're 25 Mm. i think your brain's still developing best you can do is until they turn 18 that's what i think and just be a good example and a good influence
1: i love that I do want to dive into now. I just want you to provide a little bit of um, backstory and then talk about what you're doing now. But I, I realized that when you and I first started talking, that I was still back in that problem sol- solving mode. I think uh, we as parents just think that w- once we get him to treatment, then you know everything's going to be be fine. Like that that's that's the solution. Get them in treatment, and then they come out, and they're all better, and all's well in the world. And we know it's not that easy, right? <laughs> right. But um, how do you personally handle it when a person gets into treatment and then they decide that they want to leave? Like, How do you handle that?
0: I look at what their back doors are. And do they truly have any? Now, if I did my job correctly, I'm an admissions coordinator. So I oversee people who help bring people into the program. And I also have a certain caseload as well. So I make sure that the back doors are closed. Now, because I'm in Hawaii... Uh, it's a long, sw- if someone's coming from the mainland, the other 49 states, then it's a long swim home. <laughs> so if the person knows that mom or dad or ex-boyfriend or aunt or uncle is going to fly them home if they leave because they don't like it, they have that, that option, then at some point they will utilize that option. So no matter how much intervention we give before somebody leaves, a lot of times it's not going to work. Their mind's already made up. They've contemplated it. They've thought about it. Little we can say. And we hope it doesn't get to that point. We hope that we can catch the signs of that early. But hey, man, addicts are manipulative. Sometimes they just act like it's all good. And then one day, hey, I want to go. We just remind them that, especially if they're at the early stages of treatment, they're like, hey, so don't make a decision when you're feeling emotional. Never do that. And that's like a life thing. Like if you're feeling upset or super sad, or you're overly excited, you shouldn't make decisions about important decisions about your life. What you have for dinner. That's not a big decision, but whether to leave treatment or not, encourage people to sleep on it. Encourage them to give it some time. A lot of times hook them up with one of their peers, let them distract them, go hang out with somebody funny. Just get to get taken out of your own thoughts for a little bit. If the person's in that mental stage, and then you can remind them of what life is like, like, listen, no one's flying you home. You're going to be homeless. No one's going to help you, right? You got a bed, you got food, you got your three squares, you got people who want to help you. Yes, it's challenging. Yes, it's hard. Yes, you don't get to do what you want, right? But welcome to the real world. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is what you signed up for. Remember, we reminded you that there's going to be days like this. Okay. Remember how we talked about ways to cope with this? Let's try that now. Right? So, it kind of depends on the person and the relationship with the person and who talks to them. So there's a tactic to it. But if there are those back doors, if they know that if that conversation happens before the person gets on the plane to go to treatment or before they go into treatment says, okay, well, honey, if it doesn't work out, you just give me a call and we'll find you another place. What do you think's going to happen?
1: Right. So you're using that kind of the same tactics that you talked about just for moms as far as mm-hmm. like when they start to bend. So I love that. Let's, let's go ahead and dive in. So would you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit more about you and your story and what got you here and what you're doing now?
0: Sure. I grew up on the central coast of California. I'm 29 years old, almost 30. I've been doing this type of work for almost seven years now. Seven years ago, I wouldn't have dreamed or thought that this is what I'd want to be doing. But it is now, and it's quite cool how that changed. I kind of grew up with this this aura, it seemed like, that everything was fine and everything was like this white picket fence type of lifestyle, like the nuclear family. At 18, my parents got a divorce and I didn't see that coming at all. Um, I had a bad knee injury playing sports, so that kind of limited some post-high school opportunities. I went away to college, I went to Arizona State, big party school, and I just wasn't ready to accept the fact that... I actually had to live a balanced lifestyle that like life wasn't a big party. And most of that was to blame on me. And part of it, my preparation for it at least, part of that was me not accepting the fact that I had to be a grown up and act like an adult and get myself to class on time. And the other part of that was parents not doing a good enough job of informing me that that's what I was supposed to do. They just kind of assumed that I knew that, right? I got to college. I lasted about three years, flunked out of school. I was introduced to OxyContin from a roommate's brother of mine that had Hodgkin's lymphoma at the time. And I loved it. And little did I know that I was like dealing with problems through that. I just thought it was like a recreational thing that, hey, it's college. I want to like experiment and try, say, I tried everything once. Before I knew it, I was addicted. Things were out of hand. I didn't have any money. I went back home to California to like live with parents, worked in the family business. I was not consistent. Th- things just got out of control. I went to a luxury rehab for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. I went to a kind of a low-end rehab. I did outpatients. I tried the meetings thing. Nothing was working. Graduated to heroin, cocaine. My drinking was out of control. Smoked a lot of pot. Eventually wound up homeless. My drug dealer didn't even want me around. Like, that's how low I, I stooped to. I remember that because I was raised with good values, I, I know that. I knew the difference between right and wrong. I knew that if I wanted good things in my life, I have to work for them. I had, a, I had good family support, right? They wanted what's best for me. And I remember driving one day. I was living in my car at the time. I was about 22 years old. And I remember there, there's a city called Pismo Beach. And I remember driving down towards the pier, right? then there were crosswalks as you get closer to the pier there's crosswalks where people cross and I remember being in my car and I think I was going to buy drugs and I remember stopping because this family was crossing the road and it was like a father and his wife and the kids like walking next to him small kids and they were like holding hands and smiling and I was I remember looking at them and saying like wow like people actually do that like, people actually, like, spend time together and smile and laugh. Like, you know, I knew they weren't on drugs, right? Like, I thought that you had to be on drugs to have a good time. That's how skewed and that's how skewed my thinking had become. Because there was a point in my life when that wasn't the case, right? I, I had tasted what it's like to have a healthy relationship with family. And uh, I said, wow, I'm way off here. Like, I, I am so far removed from reality. Shortly after that, I got a call from my parents. My mom's husband went through a program in Hawaii that I work for now called habilitat and he told me about it it's a long term program he's like look i went back i went there back in the 80s i got my stuff together you should just give it a try and years prior to that he'd mentioned it and i was like nah you're crazy i'm not going somewhere for a year or two like no way like i don't need i don't need that much time i'm not that bad like i'm not that guy right i'll, I'll get a grip eventually and then they finally called me over. They sat me down and said, listen, you've tried all these other programs. You've tried everything. You can either go to this program. We'll help you get there. Or you can go back to doing whatever it is that you were doing before this, which was nothing. I was sleeping in my car, and my whole day revolved around getting drugs and just like just day-by-day day, scumbag living. It, it sucked. I didn't like it. I, I knew I was meant for more than that. I got to Habilitat, and kind of the rest is history. It was by far the hardest thing I've ever had to do, um, mainly because I couldn't do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. It was very structured. I knew they were legit because they've been around a long time. And people there abided by the rules. Most of the other treatment centers I'd been to, not saying they were bad. It was just there was ways around the rules. I didn't have to... Abide by them if I didn't want to. I could find, I could literally spend time thinking about how to get around them and get what I wanted. So I just got the sense that I was like, man, I just can't do what I want here. And I learned, like, okay, if I just go by the rules and I do what they say, then I will do fine here. Right. And you'd see people leave treatment and go back out and get arrested, or some people died. And it was like, geez, Louise, man, people still want to do this. Um, It was hard. But over time, Everything that I did before just became disinteresting. I received my vocational training there. That's a big part of the program in the admissions department. So I really liked my job. So come the time that I wanted to graduate after a couple of years, I was like, I really don't want to screw this up. I really don't. And I really like my job. Can I just stick around for a while? And they're like, yeah, sure. I said, okay. So I stuck around and I transitioned out. It was a slow transition, but it was good for me in my 20s, right? I understood that like, monitoring and having somebody to check in with and having a support group around me was important. So I eventually was hired there and now I live in the real world and I have friends outside of Abilitat and I continue to do what I like to do and help people get into treatment. And that's kind of my story, kind of a crash course. But I do understand being kind of that millennial age group, kind of the whole entitlement thing that comes with it. I was spoiled growing up. I understood that. That didn't do me any favors. Not saying that you shouldn't spoil your kids, but I also understand that you have to earn that stuff. So I I can kind of relate to an audience of that middle-class family growing up with privilege. Like you wouldn't think that that dynamic of a person would be affected by drugs. But now we it's in the news everywhere. We see that it does. It's reached the middle class. Right. It's not lower income people that are being affected by this. It's, it's everybody. So I understand that kind of like entitled generation that wants to that wants to tweak which treatment centers they want to go to. And they want to work around the system and they want to live at home and they want to pull the heartstrings of each parent. And and, you know, they know they're meant for more, but they just don't know how. So I, I get that. I've been there. I was that spoiled kid who needed to just get a crash course in growing the heck up. So I, I like talking to people that are my age or in that age group that that are kind of going through that similar stuff because I just remember how that affected my family, how that affected me, how things could have been a little bit different growing up, what should have happened, what shouldn't have happened. So it's been an interesting journey and I'm still continuing to learn, right? I just, I like helping people. It's good for me. Giving back is good for me, but that's kind of my story
1: Yeah. That's kind
0: of how I got involved in this.
1: I'm just so grateful that our paths crossed and I I feel like all things kind of led me to you, but I just feel like incredibly blessed to know you and, and you've impacted my life greatly. I just was so looking forward to sharing your voice with my moms. I guess for me in, I belong to a lot of moms groups. I I have a lot of moms as friends now that I've, I've entered, entered this community, this community of moms. Mm -hmm who have children sure. struggling with addiction. And I see the heartache every day. And this kind of like these these painful decisions that moms are making to cut ties with their kids. And I don't know if you would just, I always like to circle back around to hope. And I do want you to talk a little bit more too about about your, your program. But what do you want to say to those moms that are in that place?
0: Perfect. I've thought a lot about this. And I talked to somebody in Southern California that kind of about the same topic and we kind of formulated this strategy and it's a very simple one right match your child's effort if they want help Mm -hmm. you you can't just beat them with sticks and hope that they or throw information at them or or try to try to love them into getting well right If, if they come forward and say okay i need some help a typical thing that's said is okay get me into treatment where do i go i don't know what to do most people nowadays have a smartphone or know somebody that does, go to Google. Okay. So it's kind of like a negotiation with your kid. Say, okay, son, I'll find two places. You find two places. You make the calls and I'll make the calls. And when that happens, that's when, you know, if they make those two calls. Okay. And they either leave messages or there's concrete proof that they did that. Then it's like, okay, there's some investment involved. Okay. Now I'm going to move to the next phase. Okay. Now we're going to go visit these places. Now I can talk to an outreach coordinator. Now I can talk, about potential admissions. Where is it? What's the cost? Do we need to get you insurance? Okay. Now create the initial investment on their part. Don't just do all the work for them. Don't think that they're not capable of doing it. They are. They just don't care to do it. And if they go in with that attitude that everybody's going to do something for them, then they're never going to get clean in the long run. That's kind of my message is saying, okay, if you want mom's help, Show me that you're willing to help yourself. So I'll match your effort. If you call one place, I'll call one place. That's does so that great. make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. If you're doing more work than than they are.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tiring.
1: It, yeah, it's exhausting. You're, you're
0: not going to treatment, right? You can educate yourself all you want on all these treatment centers out there. And there's a lot of people, especially on social media, who are contacts where they get people into treatment. And I see it all the time like, okay, I found this place for you. And I found this place for you. And I found this place. And, and here's the, here's the dynamic of the situation. We have a 32 year old female on the streets, this insurance, traumatic issues, who can help her. Right. And then the person themselves is just sitting there and they have their pick of the litter. Right. right? They, they, they literally, all they had to do was say, get me into treatment. And then there's all these people are willing to do all this work for them. Not saying that's wrong. It's just where's the investment on the person's part? Is that all they have to do is just say, I want to get clean. You know, where's the work involved? And, and really it's not that much. They say, well, he, he's suffering and, and, and he doesn't know how, and uh, BS, your kid manages to get high on a hundred dollars of dope every day. How do you think they do that? They are resourceful. They can find a way they can put their effort and their mind into something. If they see an end result, Right now, it doesn't mean they're going to do it well and it doesn't mean they're going to do it to the T or how or, or meet the standard that you would like. But they at least need to do something more than just say, I need help. Right. They need to put some sort of investment into it. Th- that's my personal take on it.
1: That's really good. Yeah, All it's right. it's hard. It's hard to I'm afraid that some moms are never going to get to that place of healing. And sure. I worry I worry about that getting in the way of their children ever getting the help that they need.
0: Well, it's interesting because we say healing, right? So what does that look like? Yeah. What does healing look like? Like, if you could say I'm healed, what does that look like? Does that mean that all your problems are solved? <laughs> does that mean that your, your, your kid is back to the person that you wish they'd be or that, they, that you want them to be? Does that mean that you don't think about them or worry about them ever getting high? Like, what We have to define what healing means. Because I think we, our expectations are pretty high. Because we know that, let's just say that you're a family, but you don't have uh, addiction issues in it, right? Does does that mean life's just kosher? No, like life's going to be filled with problems. So what does healing look like? What is a measurable way to say, like, I've healed a little bit? Doesn't mean I have to completely heal, but I'm working towards healing. I I don't know if people ask themselves these questions enough. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. I mean, it made me think right there while you were saying that for me, like, right. a sense like so, of healing is being able to embrace life and enjoy and joy all these things and not have that be contingent upon my daughter's decision-making. Yeah. But yeah, let's say? just say
0: your daughter is clean, right? Mm-hmm. She goes to treatment, she gets clean. She's good forever. Does that mean that 20 years from now, you're still not going to worry about her?
1: No, of course not.
0: Right. And it doesn't mean you're going to, you, you think she's going to go back to drugs. It's just, Oh my gosh, is she happy with her career? You know, is she, mm-hmm. is she struggling as a mother? You know, it, it, that stuff's always going to be there. That, it, so healing is, I think, just acceptance of the fact of what yeah. is.
1: Yeah, uh, exactly, exactly.
0: Adjusting your life to that. If healing is just a feeling, right? It's not like a cut that's just going to heal up and scar. You know, you may you may have that scar as a reminder, but what does healing look like to me? And and is that even achievable? Let's just yeah. say everything plays out. Am I going to heal, or, or is it just worry? Right. Yeah. So th- those are just things to think about. And I'm not licensed. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't have extensive training and background. I just have experience, and I just ha- I try to use common sense and I try to ask myself a lot of questions and I encourage people to do that themselves. Right? Because there's this standard that society can place on like healing. You need to heal. Okay. What does that mean? What does that mean? It could mean one you one thing for me one thing for somebody else it's not this standard of like i don't have to worry about my child anymore you're always going to worry about your kid
1: (laughs) right yeah
0: it's something my parents tell me i'm always going to worry about you get used to it your mother's always going to say she loves you and she's going to give you a hard (laughs) time and question you you know get get used to that kid right so (laughs) you know addict or not
1: yeah you're right I guess for me, like the word healing just means that you're willing to look at your own self and you're willing to start doing the work within and like, you know, like you say, like <laughs> talking about your own backyard.
0: Yeah. Wait, take a look at your backyard. Yeah, you know, <laughs> What's going on with me, right? You know, like, Hey, we're easy to look at like oh, all these, all these external factors, right. That affect just everything around us. All right. Wait a second. How am I handling this? Because people got a lot worse, right? yeah you you know the the first world problems
1: right
0: (laughs) if you can introduce perspective into your life which i try to do daily Mm -hmm. then then great you know someone's always got it worse there's always a worse situation so there's always a lot to be real grateful for
1: you're right Uh, you got
0: a roof over your head and you can feed yourself you know you know you did the best you can i say you're winning (laughs) i say (laughs) y'all you know I, i straight up i say you're winning
1: I think that's uh, so good just, for our moms to hear. It's that reminder. Yeah.
0: I mean, we try to take people to a Shriners hospital. Are you familiar with Shriners? That's a great check in perspective. Like, oh, you think that because you got anger issues, you got it bad, and, and you didn't grow up with the greatest of families. How about these young kids with smiles on their face? They got one leg or they're to they have cancer. You know, like something that can just reintroduce perspective.
1: Wow. Right? It, it,
0: it's, very power, it's very powerful.
1: Thank you. It's you? Anything else you want to share in closing?
0: Like for the moms out there, for the dads, like I feel you. I do. It's a troubling thing. I talk to people all the time and it's a, this is a crisis industry. And I hate to call it an industry because it sounds very like corporate, but that's kind of what it's become. It's just a crisis thing. If we can simplify it and just think about what the root problem is and not try to complicate it. And just keep things very simple, and implement boundaries, and actually have a consequence if these boundaries are broken. And you stick to it, you'll actually feel better about yourself. I think you will, right? Because then you you understand that you're you're living by an ethical code, you're living with a backbone, you're doing the right thing. What's the right thing to do? Always remind yourself of that. What's what's the right thing to do here, right? What What does my gut tell me, right? So those are just my reminders. Keep it simple. Don't complicate this. Doesn't mean that, you know, an equian therapy program versus someone massaging the temples with neurochemistry program is going to be different for my kid versus the other. Don't look at that, right? Just what what kind of skills does my child lack and what place can offer them that help? And am I doing that for them, right? Am I being a good example? So these are just little things to think about.
1: Thank you, Chad. Little things to think about. Thank yeah. you. And how do, how do people find you and, and how do they learn more about the program?
0: Sure. We do have a website. It's just www.habilitat.com. That's H A B boy, I L I T A T.com. You can reach us at 1 800 USA 2525. We are on Facebook, that page is updated regularly. Give me a call anytime. I'd be more than happy to talk to you. You can personal message me on Facebook. You can call me up and say, I want to talk to Chad Stevens. Thank you. Yeah. So that, that's the best way to reach us. Our website's an abundance of information. Just a little kind of blurb about the program I work for, and it won't take long. Um, it's a two-year residential substance abuse treatment program and also a vocational training program. First six months is very intensive, right? There's three mandatory phases you're going to go through. First six months is intensive. After the first six months, we let the leash out, and you're going to be placed in one of our vocational training entities. Some of them are revenue generating. Some of them are not. They are just support departments. So, for instance, you could be in our culinary arts department, cooking meals for everybody and working on our lunch wagon, and preparing food for catering events. You can... Work in our sales and marketing and fundraising department. Right now, we're selling Christmas trees. We are the largest Christmas tree distributor on Oahu. We also have uh, construction departments with licensed contractors. So a lot of people go into that field. We can build your rock wall. We can replumb your house. We can paint it. We can do cabinetry work, tile work. Um, and then we have support departments. You can work in our administrative departments or our medical departments or our accounting department or admissions um you're going to get trained in something that way when you get out of here you have 2 years of consistent work experience to put on a resume that's powerful we long we learned long ago that just getting someone off drugs isn't enough somebody needs a marketable skill to get by in this world if we didn't do our job if the minute somebody gets out of our program they call their parents and say hey mom dad i need money the only thing they should be calling you for is saying thank you so much for the opportunity i'm independent I'm standing on my own two feet. I want to prove it to you guys. That's it. The last phase is very transitional. We let the leash out even more. Um, You have a day off. You go to support meetings outside. They put on a lot of events for the younger population there. They kind of run the show. They are the role models at this point. So if you want to stay there longer, even past graduation, you can elect to do that. Um, Some people just want the heck out. They want to go live their lives. Um, And some people want to stay longer because it's a good place. It's supportive. It is tough. It is challenging. We are going to make you stand accountable for your actions. If you come there and you don't want to change through osmosis, you will change a little bit. Right. Um, It's very peer driven. We have 100 people there. Um, Our staff is has all been through our program with the exception of a couple. Been around about 47 years. Yeah, we are licensed. That's a big one. We are a licensed program. Have been through the. Uh, Alcohol and Drug Abuse Division of Hawaii, the Department of Health, for a long time. So we know what we're doing. We're doing something right. We're very different. Um, It's a big commitment. It's far away, which is sometimes a good thing. If you want more information, feel free to give us a call or check us out online.
1: Awesome. (laughs) So awesome. Thank you so much. I remember one of the things when I first, when she, she, when I'm just going to talk about my daughter for a second, when first got her into treatment, one of the first things that you reminded me of is um, that the decision is hers. I just think that that is so important for parents to remember that the decision is hers and it's, it's always been hers. And I just think that's a great reminder.
0: Yeah, it it is. And personally and organizationally, we're firm believers that no one held a gun to anybody's head, Mm -hmm. right? We have to start there. People made their own decisions no one wishes that they got this addicted, okay? <laughs> right, that, that wasn't part of the grand plan, okay? But it's got to start somewhere. They made the initial choice, and uh, they got to live with those decisions that they make. Sometimes, it, you know, there's big messes to clean up. But nonetheless, if someone can understand that they made the choice to do this initially, and they continued to do this initially, maybe being naive to what can happen. Nonetheless, they started this, and it's up to them to fix it. That's powerful. That's very powerful stuff. And it's simple. Right? It's very simple. It says that's easy to understand for most people. Right. Now, that's not necessarily what's thrown out there nowadays in the industry. You know, th- there's a lot of stuff that goes around that's hey, my son, my daughter, my loved one didn't choose this. Well, of course not, right? But they started somewhere. Right? Yeah. So, w- w- where we gotta instill some sort of accountability in this, you know, the, show me the gun. Show me the gun that forced them to do this. No, they, yes, an impulsive decision, but make them stand by that. Make them stand by that, good or bad, right? That's how we instill accountability and confidence and self-respect and esteem is when people can actually own up to their stuff. I mean, let, 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 let's face it. No one really likes being called on their crap, right? <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's uncomfortable. And then being able to say that, hey, listen, this is this is what I got called out for, everybody. That's that's hard. It's humbling. Yeah. It's awkward. We can get somebody, but don't we all respect somebody who can say like, listen, I, I'm taking the onus for this one. This is my fault and I'm going to fix it. It's not going to happen again. Don't we all kind of have like a weird respect for that? Yeah. At least I do. And, and it's kind of empowering. Like it's, it kind of shows a strong person. Like they're not afraid to fail. Like they're not afraid to make a mistake. So uh, awesome. still nasty stuff, but um, yeah, you're right. It, it's it's It was your daughter's decision to get help. Right, mm-hmm. now, It has to be her idea. It has to be.
1: Well, and then she can celebrate it. <laughs> she can celebrate right, exactly. the decision. Yeah, it's not mine. It's not my... It's, right. <laughs> yeah. And she can move on. She yeah. can move
0: on. Right? If we're always going to be worried about somebody, right, if we're just going to continue to be worried about my daughter the whole life, her whole life, well, well
1: are we going to continue to
0: identify her as that? Right? Or are we going to treat her like an adult, like we do the rest of the world? And that's really up to her how she wants to be identified. But that's a personal choice. Like me, I don't let my my past define me. This is my job. This is what I do. Like I don't just dive in. I don't introduce myself in the general public to somebody who works for a different corporation. As hi, my name's Chad. I used to be a heroin addict. Right? That's just that's not their business. I do live in Hawaii, so a lot of people do ask me, oh, I brought you out to Hawaii, right? So I do kind of <laughs> have to have to introduce that to some to, to some people, but, um, you know, some people don't want that when they're done. You got to ask them, like, so what do you want? Like, are you somebody who wants to identify yourself as that? Does that define you? Fine. If you're clean, great. Do whatever works. For me, I'm just like, I'm just another dude. This is part of my past. I look back, I chuckle. I'm, you know, I'm like, damn, man, I was an idiot. But, I learned from it. It shaped me to be a different person. I look at my situation as having an advantage over a lot of other people because I've tasted a couple different sides of life. And that brings perspective. And a lot of people won't look at it that way. They just look at it as something that's unfortunate or they just don't trust you or whatever. But, you know, time does help to earn trust back. That's another thing I wanted to tell moms is, listen, what is your trust worth? Okay. Okay. And what does it take to earn the trust of somebody else? Okay. Like say, Oh, I'm going to trust my son when they go through 30 days of treatment. What? (laughs) They're just coming out of the cloud. How do you trust them? What? Well, okay. I'll I'll extend it to three months. No, no, absolutely not. (laughs) Give me three years of clean time of not being arrested and not pissing dirty. Right. That'll, that'll earn you some trust. Right. Show me paying your bills and I don't have to give you a dime. That'll earn you some trust. Show me that you're not going to rob from somebody doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. We get it. That's a big thing. But I think we give our trust away as something that's cheap. You know, like, I want to trust my son. Yes, I understand you want to. Doesn't mean you should. Prove it to me. Okay? Prove it over time. And it's not a month thing. It's not a year thing. It's years. Right? You got to earn that trust back. That was, that, is, that was something else I wanted to
1: do. That is so good. Oh, I'm glad you remembered. That's huge.
0: Yeah. Yeah, me too.
1: Oh man! You. Thank you so. Much. I know how valuable your time is, and I, I can only I just appreciate you. Thank you for being here today, and maybe I'll have you come back, and I'll definitely share all of your information below. And yeah, thanks, Chad. Thanks for being cool. out there doing your thing.
0: Yeah, I it's not a problem. I, I enjoyed this. I like talking about this stuff. It's fun, and I know some of it's controversial. It'll it'll conflict with other people's viewpoints and what you've been taught. But hey, this is just mine yeah you know this is mine it's part of it's what I've been taught part of it's my environment and so you know take it for what it's worth I hope it helps some people
1: it will it will
0: I, re- I really do
1: well and people get to decide they're like if, if it resonates with me fine if not you let it go take what you need and leave the rest yeah. right
0: exactly
1: thank you Chad hey everyone Thank you so, so much for tuning in and for helping me to connect with other moms of addicts or loved ones who are struggling with addiction in their lives. If you have questions for me, comments, suggestions on future show content, or perhaps there's a topic, a specific topic that you would like to hear from an expert in the field, I would love to hear from you. I am also interested in sharing your voice so if you have messages of hope or personal stories that you think would resonate with our listeners, please send me an email. You can type me out a message or you can include an attachment um, to an audio clip with your voice. You can send that to Shar at beyondhoperadio.com. And with that, thank you again and I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.
0: Thanks for listening to Beyond Hope. For show notes and more, head on over to beyondhoperadio.com.
1: A huge thank you to recoveryinnovators.com and James Healy. Thank you so much for putting up with me. And for helping me to um, produce and launch the show. I couldn't have done it without you. You are so awesome. And to anybody else who has been considering uh, working with James, highly recommend him. Please go over to his website and check it out. RecoveryInnovators.com.